Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. plurality of the name God in the Old Testament. Uh, in continuing in this series called Jesus in the Old Testament, we'll be looking into the Hebrew meanings of the two most used names for God in the Old Testament, which God used in naming and describing his existence. Uh, the two names are Elohim and Adonai. Both of these terms indicate a plural noun. It's uh, it, They're plural terms, meaning more than one. They're not singular terms. They're plural terms. And even though many have tried to hide this fact or even read out the obvious meanings, the Hebrew language makes it so obviously clear that to ignore this study or to deny it is to literally bury your head in ignorance. It's just to say, I choose not to believe that is so, regardless of how the Hebrew language uh, makes it clear as day. All right. Now, so I want to look into that. We're going to look at um, a common objection to a few things as well that we see in this, because if God or the, the name Elohim or the name Adonai means a plural God, not a singular God, then that means that we have evidence, I suppose, for the Trinity, for belief in the Trinity, or at least in a multiple God. God of a, of a number of persons. And we know from Scripture that God talks about the Spirit. You know, the Spirit hovered over the waters. That was right in Genesis 1. Um, the Spirit of God was there. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, we hear of the Spirit coming upon uh, uh, prophets of old and, and patriarchs, that the Spirit of God would come upon them and cause certain events to take place. So in reading that, we know that the Spirit of God, because it, came, it couldn't be God in totality, if you know what I mean, because God is everywhere present. But it was the Spirit of God came upon them and led them to understand something. So it wasn't like an electrical current came upon them as a force because it's, uh, you know, you get zapped with electricity. The only thing you learn about that is never touch it again. <laughs> it's about all you will learn from touching a, a power source like electricity. But when you're touched by God, God reveals something amazing to you. And that is through his spirit, which is a separate person. And it's even in Genesis 1 as a separate person there. Genesis 1 1 says, in the beginning, God. The word used for God, Johnny helped me out with this um, a few months back. You might remember it in the sermon called Jesus is God. I did a brief study on this. Uh, the word used for God in the Hebrew is Elohim. And his, this name has been used for God in over 2,000 places in the Old Testament. So it's one of the most commonly used uh, terms for God, uh, Elohim. The L of the word Elohim is the... That doesn't make sense. The L of the word Elohim is the word L. <laughs> anyway, the L of the word Elohim means mighty one. And this is the singular form. Uh, Elohim meaning mighty ones is the plural form. The reason for that is in the Hebrew language, the im ending imputes plurality. Therefore, Elohim is the plural form of the word El, 
The im is a suffix that represents a plural noun, more than, which means more than one, such as Nephilim, Rephaim, and Anakim. They all have the im on the end of them, which means that it's a group of people. It's not just a singular person. There's not a Nephilim, just one. It's the Nephilim, which is many, or Rephaim, which is many. Amen? If God wanted us to understand that he was a singular God, then he would have referred to himself as just El, wouldn't he? Uh, but he made very clear from the outset of Scripture that he is El or Elohim, that there is a, a, a number of them that make up the Godhead. So the revelation we needed to receive was just how many are there? <laughs> you know, are there 330 million or are there three? And that's from Scripture we know that uh, there's only ever three talked about. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And it's throughout Scripture, it's throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. UCG.org tells us that Elohim is a noun that is plural in form but normally singular in usage. That is, paired with singular verbs when designating the true God. So for a comparable modern expression, consider the term the United States. This proper noun is plural in form but singular in usage. It is used with the singular verbs. For example, Americans say the United States is going to take action. They don't say the United States are going to take action. They don't say all the states of the United States are going to take action. They say the United States is one and it is going to take action. That's a really good way of helping us to understand this plurality uh, that we see in the word Elohim. So the plural form does not signify multiple and individual states, but taken collectively, they are viewed as one nation, supposedly under God. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> won't go there. So the interactive Bible also relates, and this is interesting, five plural verbs are applied to God. Creates, makes, wonders, reveals, judges. So in English, these plural verses do not indicate a plural person God creates. It doesn't tell us that there's many gods that create. It just says God creates. But the plurality of Hebrew verbs follow the noun. I found that interesting. The plurality of Hebrew verbs follow the noun. So the the verb itself will cause the noun to be plural. So this plurality of verbs associated with God is most striking and unusual to those who read Hebrew. So if you read Hebrew, you'll know exactly what, what I'm talking about, that the verb will cause the noun to be plural. Yeah? Anyone who's a linguist would probably understand that and get can can do some research into that. Adonai, the plural noun for Lord, is the name Adonai. So there's God, which is Elohim, and then there's Lord, which is Adonai. And however, the name Adonai speaks of relationship and is used over 300 times in the Old Testament. Adonai consists of the word Adon, which is the singular form, and it means master or lord. So you know how... Uh, you know, Daniel would talk to Nebuchadnezzar and call him Lord. He would say, Adon, something like in, in that, that respect. Uh, you know how you got landlords, all that sort of thing. So it usually refers to men, but many, time, uh, many times it refers to men in the Bible, but sometimes they use the term Adon in reference to God, but you'll see from the context of, of why the, the word Adon was used rather than Adonai, and I'll show you that in just a second. But Adonai, plural form, is composed of Adon plus I, literally means my lords. It literally means my lords, as in many. However, our English translations usually translate it my lord, 
singular or just Lord. But Genesis 15.2 says this, But Abraham said, or Abram said, O sovereign Lord, and that is in reference to Adonai, sovereign Lord God, which is Adonai Yahweh, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? So Abraham or Abram at that time was talking to his Lord and he called him Adonai Yahweh. And in that sense, he was using a plural form. He was not just talking to God the Father, but he was talking to him from what I believe, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit also. He referred to the Godhead. Why else would he use that word? Why else would he have used it? Yeah. Matthew twenty two forty four says, and this is where the word Adon is used in reference to the Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adon. So now he's revealing a one, a singular God among the Godhead. And I thought that was brilliant. That really brings home the point of that there is a Godhead that consists, in our opinion, consists of three persons. So the Lord Yahweh said to my Lord, Adon, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. That's Psalm 110 verse 1. So that's where Adon can be used, and it wouldn't be right if it was Adonai there. Because the Lord said to my Lord of many gods, many plural God. No, the Lord Yahweh said to my Lord, Adon, a singular Lord. Among the Godhead. Amen. Also in the Septuagint, Adonai and Jehovah are translated with the same Greek noun, kurios, which signifies sovereign power, supreme authority, absolute ownership. Absolute ownership. So in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to more than 20 times as Saviour, which is Sota, and over 700 times as Lord Kurios. He is over 700 references to Jesus being Kyrios, which is God. And the God that uh, Kyrios was translated uh, from Jehovah and Adonai in the scriptures uh, of the Old Testament by, in the Septuagint translation. Isn't that interesting? So Kyrios, which we know is God, is how they referred to Jesus. The New Testament authors did this to make clear to us that Jesus is Kyrios, is God. Jesus is God. Now, we all know of these scriptures as well. Let us, Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who's God talking to there? Who's God talking to? Do you know what many of the people that don't believe that Jesus is God say that he was talking to the angels? Right? Now, that just doesn't make sense. The interactive Bible relates... The Trinity was hidden in the Old Testament until Christ came and the earliest Christians began to search the Old Testament scriptures daily to see if Paul's claims that Jesus of Nazareth was the direct subject of prophecy. When the Bereans were told, uh, when Paul was revealing to them that Jesus is the God of the New Testament, uh, sorry, the Old Testament, the Bereans searched it out. And we have no doubt that Paul would have pointed out the six passages where God is referred to with the plural nouns us and our. So six times at least there would have been references to us and our in the, uh, that Paul would have used with the Berean uh, Jews who were studying the scriptures diligently daily to see if what, what was said was so. 
The interactive Bible reveals that the anti-Trinitarian claims that when God said, let us make man in our image, that was Genesis 1.26, that he was speaking to angels. There's a few reasons why that can't be so. Angels are not created in, in the image of God, only man. So when they said, let us make man in our image, we're not getting made in the image of an angel, are we? We're getting made in God's image and we are called man. So if angels are included in let us make, then angels and God are equally our creator, aren't they? And angels didn't create us. So how can we say that the angels is who God is saying our or relating it to? So he couldn't have been relating to anything he had created because then they would have created us as well as God. But we know we are created by God alone. So when he said, let us make man in our image, he's referring to the Godhead, those that are as God as he is. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. In Genesis 3.22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Now here, in that particular verse, it could be argued that he was there talking to angels, becoming one of us. But the only problem I see with that is that then he would be claiming that angels are like him, but he's God. So we don't say, when we, in reference to a dog, oh, now he's become like one of us, as in me and the dog. The dog is a different creation to me. So it's not me and the dog uh, that they've become like. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's either they've become like me or my kind and understand these things. Do you know what I mean? It's not another creation. So when God said, the man has now become like one of us, he's referring to his own kind knowing both good and evil. And uh, Genesis 11 verse 7 says, Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so, so that they will not understand each other. Who went down? That wasn't the angels he was talking to. That was God, let us. Because angels are not of the same nature as God, so he can't include angels in it, as in at the us expression. Does that make sense? This is interesting as well. The apostolic fathers were fighting against this heresy which came along and saying that this wasn't so, that Elohim didn't represent God and their whole us and let us make man in our image. You listen to what some of these early apostles, apostolic fathers were saying. In 74 AD in the epistle of Barnabas, it says, For the scriptures says concerning us, while he speaks to the Son, listen, he said, For the scriptures says concerning us, as in the reference to the word us, while he speaks to the Son, he's saying God is speaking to the Son. He said, let us make man after our image and after our likeness. So he was saying that to his Son. That's the epistle of Barnabas. That epistle was written in 74 AD. He was, you know, uh, we, we believe, uh, you know, we haven't got any reason to doubt why, uh, that it wouldn't be the actual Barnabas spoken of in the Bible, but some believe it could have been another Barnabas. Who knows? I thought Barnabas was a nickname that only Barnabas received. It's just being called the son of encouragement. But, um, but so that's interesting. He was fighting against the heresy which says that that's not so. Uh, 150 AD, Justin Martyr, speaking of Jewish theologians, Justin calls the Jewish teaching that God spoke to the angels a heresy, like I was just saying. He said this, in saying, therefore, as one of us, being let us make man in our image, uh, Moses has declared that there is a certain number of persons associated with one another and that they are at least two. 
So he was saying there are at least two in that reference, let us, because we know that um, there has to be two to say us, doesn't there? <laughs> at least. <laughs> we know now from Scripture that there's three. In 180 AD, Irenaeus, in his work Against Heresies, which is a classic work, Look, let me tell you something about the Apostolic Fathers uh, for the internet, and I know I've said it to you guys before. People like to read Christian books, right? And we read, we have lots of Christian books out there today on the shelves, and, and sometimes you don't know who to read because you don't know, are they going to teach me some heresy or are they going to teach me true words of the words of God? Uh, and we've got all sorts of authors out there teaching all so, pro, uh, uh, propagating all sorts of stuff. Um, promulgating. Promulgating? Propagating. Both sort of mean the same thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, you've got to remember the best writers, Christian writers you could get outside of Scripture would be the actual disciples of the apostles, wouldn't you? You'd have to assume that the best guys to speak to about the teachings of the apostles and the teachings of Scripture would be the very students who sat under them and heard the... Ex- Commentaries on the teachings that they've they that we read about in the Bible. So when you read the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which is from the time of the disciples through to around 300 AD, that period was the disciples of the original apostles and and also their disciples, and I think up to about three or four generations later. Now Irenaeus was 180 AD. Now he's probably two generations away from the original. Now, this is pretty interesting stuff. So when you read it, you're getting very biblically sound commentaries on Scripture. Really good teachings. The language is a little different to ours today, but once you get your head around that, brilliant stuff. Some absolutely mind-blowing stuff I've been reading about that substantiates, and this is the good thing, it's substantiating and confirming to me what I have come to believe is actually so. You know, like these guys that are coming against me about the deity of Christ all the time, there was people coming against the deity of Christ in this day, and these writers were fighting against it just as I am today. So this is amazing. So 180 AD, Irenaeus said this, It was not angels, therefore, who made us, nor who formed us, neither angels' power to make an image of God, nor anyone else, except the word of the Lord, nor any power remotely distant, from the Father of all things. For God did not stand in need of these beings in order to be to the accomplishing of what he had himself determined with himself beforehand should be done, as if he did not possess his own hands. So what he's saying is he didn't need the angels to do the work for him, like some people teach. He did it by his own great power. For with him, for with God, were always present the word. This is Irenaeus, he's trying to make this clear. And wisdom, the Son and the Spirit, by whom and in whom freely and spontaneously he made all things, to whom also he speaks, saying, let us make man after our image and likeness. Genesis 1.26. Now that's in Irenaeus, who's very, that, like against heresies, is one, a highly held apologetic document. You know that was one of the one of the first you know focus just directly on on uh, defending the truth of all the, the pure doctrines of of, of uh, Christianity, and uh, he's saying clearly that reference in the Old Testament is referencing to God and His Son Jesus Christ as in the Godhead. 
Now, a child called mighty God. Now, this is a classic one. This is for those that don't believe Jesus is, is God. Isaiah 9.6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Who are they talking about? We all know Jesus. And the government will be on upon his shoulders and he'll be called, and I'm just going to go to one name here, mighty God. They use the word El. Not mighty Elohim, mighty God, as in one of the members of the Godhead. I think that's a pretty clear reference to Jesus' deity there. And that uh, he was used, and he was in the Old Testament. That's Isaiah 9, 6. Proverbs 30, verse 4, and it says, Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? So who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and the name of his son? And then it says, tell me if you know. Now, this is Proverbs 30, verse 4. People say you cannot find Jesus mentioned or the Son of God mentioned in the Old Testament. That's rubbish. Proverbs 34. That tells you straight away God is a plurality. These people, I've heard, no kidding, these people that believe that Jesus is not God, their reason is he's the Son of God, he's not God. They don't understand that God used that analogy for us to make us understand that he's of the same nature as his Father. Now, if Jesus is God as God is in the sense of the same nature, then he can't help but be God. That, does that make sense? I see it, and these guys can't see it. That Jesus being the Son of God is God. They try to say he's the Son of God, therefore he's not God because he's, God is the overarching you know, authority of the universe and he's not going to give it to anyone else or something. But they don't understand. Jesus can't help but be God because he is God nature and there's only three that have that nature. I can't help but be human because my dad was human. And whether he's the great authority over me for my whole life, I'm still human. I still have the same powers he does in the sense of powers in the way of creation and all that. He might have authority. And Jesus never said that he took authority over his father, did he? He says, I can only do what I see my father doing. My father tells me what to do, I do it. He's an obedient son. And he uses that as a simple analogy for us to understand, that he's never tried to override God. Only one creature has tried to override God, and his name is Satan, and he fell. And Jesus saw him fell. He said, I saw him fall like lightning. Why? Because it was him that he tried to override. <laughs> Satan tried to take, get Jesus off the throne and tried to get the Father off the throne. Impossible. You cannot move an immovable object. In conclusion, this is nowhere near a complete or thorough study on this subject, or, and if anything, I hope that it will stir some of you to look more deeply into the texts of the Old Testament like the Bereans did, who examined the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. So again, don't take my word for this. Um, look into it. It's a fascinating study. I only did a brief one because I knew we were only going to have a short uh, message today. God clearly references a plurality in his nature and spoke of his kind as being more than one. He clearly said that in the Old Testament. However, of course, in the Old Testament at the time, uh, a lot of the Jews for thousands of years didn't understand that because they never had to look into that. But Jesus came to reveal that. 
and to show us the truth of that. And it's in the Old Testament clearly, but it, you couldn't see it until you, you received the new revelation of Jesus Christ. This should rattle those who hold to an anti-Trinitarian mindset, and it should rattle the Jews too. This is just more weight in the debate to declare, like the apostolic fathers of old, that Jesus is most certainly God. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you uh, be with us now and fill us with your Holy Spirit and uh, just bless us with this information. Help us to take it further and, uh, and grow from it and become stronger in it. And I pray that you um, uh, bless this uh, move of, for us as a church as we move into our building at 242 uh, Belair Road in Mitcham. So if anyone's watching this on the internet, please come down and join us in worship. And uh, uh, on the 23rd of February, 2014, and uh, we just pray for your hand of, uh, of blessing, your anointing, your power to be present there with us and enable this church to grow and get stronger and, and be filled with uh, wonderful people coming together to worship and uh, look to you and, and, um, and hear your word, hear the meat of the word and, and really grow from that. And so I just pray your blessing upon this move as we as we go towards it. And uh, I pray a blessing over all of us here that we will step up to the occasion and shine for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.